Good evening, everybody. Welcome. How's everybody feeling? There's my buddy Oscar. My buddy Jason. These lights are so bright, we got to wear shades. So, today, I went Christmas hunting. I'm calling it Christmas hunting from now on. Because it's so close. Shopping and hunting, I, I figured out today, is so close. You have a season for sh hunting, right? And there's a Christmas season. I mean, you can't go Christmas shopping in July. That's just not right. There's rules against that. You'll go to prison, right? No, you can't Christmas shop in July. And then like in hunting, you have this certain game or something that you're really wanting to go after and you have a list of things when you go shopping. And then you load your gun or you load your wallet and you prepare for your trip and you brace yourself and you go out to this favorite hunting place and there's other predators trying to get your prey like a gift and you got to get there before they get there, right? And run them over and and then when you do get your prey, right, you pull out your your wallet and you shoot that present and you take it and you bag it and you tag it and you take it home and you prepare it, right? And you wrap it up in this special wrapping paper. It's Christmas hunting for me. You guys are looking at me like, oh, this guy's an idiot. Get on with the lesson, man. That's what we're here for. Christmas hunting. Thank you, Dave. The Holy Spirit gave me something today I need to share with you. Don't raise your hands on this, but how many have been offended when somebody says, Happy Holidays? And we as Christians know it's time of season of Christ, right? It's Christmas season, and sometimes there is an offense there to Christians. And so uh, while I was out Christmas hunting, I got happy holidayed several times. And I went back to my car indignant. Don't they know? And I said, Jesus, I'm sorry. They're saying happy holidays. And Jesus says, I'm not offended. And he took me back to the cross. And he says, they beat me. They stripped the flesh off of my back. They made my face unrecognizable. They drove spikes through my hands and my feet. Jammed thorns through my skull. And yet I said to my father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When people say happy holidays, they don't know what they're doing because they have not seen Jesus yet. And then he, real, he, he, he gave me revelation. He says, James, you're living offended. I'm living offended because there's a war on Christianity or there's a war on Christmas or there's a, an offense against me. And he says, James, I don't live offended. 
I said, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. And so he said, you know, America is living offended. We call it cor uh, political correctness. We get offended at everything. We get offended politically. We get f offended racially. We get offended because you're not my denomination. We live offended. And the Holy Spirit says, when you get offended, you're not living with this heart of forgiveness like I was on the cross. I had every right on the cross to be offended. Every single right. But as Americans, we think we have a right to be offended. And we don't. As Christians. As followers of Jesus. We do not have the right. We have the right to say, they don't know what they're doing. I forgive them. As someone cuts you off on the road, they didn't know what they were doing. As your kids offend you with their behavior, they don't know what they're doing. I forgive you. I will love you unconditionally. As my politicians offend me on how they're tearing apart this country of mine, they don't know what they're doing, people. They have not seen Jesus. Apostle Paul, before he was an apostle, he was Saul. He got knocked off of his horse. Jesus says, what? Why are you persecuting me? He didn't know what he was doing because he hadn't seen Jesus yet. I'm asking us to change our thinking about being offended. Change our thinking about how we react to an offense. And just say, they don't know what they're doing. They haven't seen Jesus yet. They haven't seen Jesus. So they act out of fear, anger, anxiety, whatever. Will you guys join with me in this small room here and anybody who's watching it on the TV to live unoffended? Forgive them for they know not what they do. I forgive you before you offend me. I forgive you. The pastor says something to cut you deep. He's doing it out of love. Don't be offended. It's a choice, not a feeling. If a coworker or a boss doesn't recognize your worth, don't be offended. If your husband or spouse says something because they're tired or maybe they're in pain. Don't be offended. Choose it now. I choose not to be offended. I choose to be a mature Christian and not be offended. Will you guys join with me in that? It's a journey. It's a practice. It's a skill we're going to learn. Raise your hands if you're going to make that commitment. I will not live offended. Amen. Amen. I will not be offended when they don't say amen. <laughs> Yay. We love you guys. Quick review here. It's a small group. We may do this again. Um, 
so we may go through this quickly, but we're going to, well, well, we may do this again. Review, review on page one. True or false? It's quiz time. True or false? The best way to get revelation from the Lord, true or false, is to lay on your couch and eat potato chips. False. Two things we need to do for revelation. We need to be a seeker and ask for it. Let's do that right now. Who would like fresh revelation right now, tonight? Lord, we're seeking it. We're here. And we ask for it. I ask for more revelation right now. A curtain opened on something that I didn't know before right now. Amen? Amen. True or false, quiz time, imagination. The best thing to do in imagination is imagine your kids sick and how they will die. That's the bet fault, because that's death, right? We can take that idea and meditate on it or imagine death or life. What are you going to choose, death or life? It's like a blueprint. Imagination is filling in the details. I imagined all of my kids healthy. I did. I said they're going to be healthy. I imagined them to be smart and wealthy and marry well and have great kids. It's life, 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 life. If you think, oh, they're going to grow up to be prisoners... Well, that's the imagination of death, right? True or false? It is up to the school district to give my kids their identity because they're in charge. False. Who has the authority? Please raise your hand if you have authority. Who has authority? I do because I'm the parent, right? Who gave you that authority? The Lord. Right? How do we give authority away? Anybody? By not exercising it? By giving it to the cool kid at school that's going to tell them how to live their life? Right? Authority is like a building permit. Once you get that building permit, you can build whatever you have the blueprint for. Is that right, Ray? That's right. Okay, and when we order something, when we take authority, sometimes it takes time. We may own it when we order it, but it takes time before we receive it. Covenant love. True or false? I will live in covenant love if you will first. False. Covenant love is 100% and 100%. We will both do it all. If you fail, I will step in and do it for you. Covenant love. The reason for covenant love, right? It builds lasting relationships. The reason for lasting relationships, it builds intimacy. And what do we get when we have intimacy? We reproduce ourselves. Amen? Is that good or what? Is that discipleship? Reproducing ourselves? Amen. And then how do I operate in covenant love? I have got to look up and I got to see how God's doing it. So what I was doing today, driving around Christmas hunting, looking up, what are you doing? Don't be offended. Oh, okay, I won't be offended. And boy, the Holy Spirit was heavy in that car. He's like, share this with the people tonight. Live unoffended. Forgive immediately. Amen. 
look up. We get our uh, marching orders from the Father. Jesus was our example for that. Last week, we talked about our first structural wall, which was expectations. All right? It's up to Father God to declare our identity. All right? It's up to us to agree with the identity God gave. We do not give our kids identity of death. You're terrible. You'll never amount to nothing. We give them life. All right? Our words need to lift up our children instead of tear them down. Maturity only comes when that weight of responsibility is carried. And if they drop it, you encourage them to pick it up and not pick it up yourselves. Or they'll be 40-year-olds living in your basement kind of thing, acting like children. All right? We're dealing with that now with our teenage kids. We are pushing the weight of the responsibility on them. It's a weight they've never felt before. It's like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Dad. Yeah, you can. You can do it. You can do it. And guess what our Father does to us as mature Christians? <clears throat> gives us more weight of responsibility. Is that right, Ray? It gives us more. Why? Because he wants us to mature and to be better and more mature children of God. Amen. Let's go into our next session. Actually, our next session was communication, but uh, Neam and I were talking about having the kids in here for communication because a lot of this is to the kids, okay? So they're having a Christmas party tonight, and so we're going to be doing this in January. So we're stepping ahead of one uh, and going into modeling behavior, okay? We raise our kids in three different ways, in the spirit, in the soul, and in the body. So the first part is modeling behavior in the spirit. Part one, your mistakes are opportunities to teach. So one time I was picking up Jordan from school. It was a wonderful spring day. It was about, I don't know, 72, 73 outside. Had the windows down. Nice breeze going through, nice and relaxing. I wasn't in a hurry at all. I was just in line picking her up from school. You know how the whole school line is picking up the kids. It was over there at Webb. And I came up to uh, a stop sign. Nobody was there. Wow. So I looked carefully. Nobody was there and went on. And then all of a sudden... 5-0 in my rearview mirror. Boop! Doing like this. I'm like, what? I mean, what was I doing? He says, you did not come to a complete stop. <sighs> okay, I may have been going one mile an hour. But he was there right behind the bushes just waiting for somebody to come along and not come to a complete stop. And here I have my little girl... Uh-oh, just as the police officer comes in the back door, I'm telling the story. Hey, Lonnie. Tell him when I got busted by 5-0. Um, and so it's a, it was a, a motorcycle cop, and it's like, you did not come to a complete stop in a school zone. I'm like, yes, sir, I'm sorry. Will you please let me off? Trying my hardest to have a good attitude with my little girl right here. That was difficult. And I, I decided right then. I paid very close attention to my attitude, and I humbled myself, and I passed on a life lesson to my child. When you make a mistake, own it. 
all right, with humility. And $287 later, I had my lesson there. And I showed Jordan my ticket. And I said, I did not obey the rules, all right? And this is what I get for it. And I showed her that I had to go and I had to pay this ticket and do all the rest of it. And I made that ticket, made that mistake something that she could learn off of instead of hiding it. Many times as parents, do we all make mistakes? Yes, we do, right? Take that and make it a lesson for your kids so that maybe, maybe, maybe they won't repeat that lesson. They won't repeat that mistake. Number one, one of the hardest things as parents... Uh, for a parent to do is to let their kids see them as imperfect. After all, we're the king of our castles. We set the rules, right? And if we're setting the rules, then by golly, you know, we're going to be perfect. It's not right, guys. We make mistakes all the time. And many times I will go to them and ask their forgiveness for the mistakes I've made. Guys, if you blow it in front of them, one of the best lessons you can teach them is the lesson of forgiveness. I made a mistake. Will you forgive me? I was out of line. My tone was not right with you. I was tired, but that's not a mistake. I should never have talked to you that way. Will you forgive me? You're not going to have a feeling for that, guys. It's going to be a choice. Make that a choice. Number two. Lay down your pride. That's your first first blank there. Lay down your pride and admit to your children that you made a mistake. This simple act removes the anxiety from our kids when they make a mistake. They won't hide it. All right? Our kids, I'll ask them, did you blow it? Yep, I blew it. How'd you do it? Okay. What did you learn from this? I learned this. You know there's got to be a punishment. Yeah. They're not hiding it anymore because you didn't hide your mistakes. You set the example. You show them how to do it first. You guys dropped your kids off here and showed up here. Congratulations. You are setting an example for the rest of their life. Good on you guys. Number three, wouldn't you want your kids to learn from your mistakes and possibly not even repeat them? Number four, discuss with your children the different attitudes and actions of your mistake. When that, when that police officer pulled me over, I could have said, yeah, you pulled me over just because you wanted to fulfill some kind of uh, quota. And you're, you're, I was wrong, but you're just, you know, I could have had such a bad attitude, even though I was admitting my mistake. The attitude behind it is also very important, Okay. And number five, mistakes are not meant to be glorified, but rather they are signs on the road of life placed by those who have gone before us to steer us away from danger and keep us on the path of God's grace. Okay? One of the best ways to stay out of trouble is look at people who have made that mistake before and learn from them. So your first homework question Write about recent mistakes and how you can make them a teachable moment for your kids. We're also, in our book, we have these parenting proverbs, and we're going to be adding them into our teaching. Parenting proverbs, a mistake revealed with humility yields peace 
in the process of maturity. That's a t-shirt. Right. Sometimes, um, actually very often, we have had the kids come to our room. We need to talk to you. And their first question, am I in trouble? Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. Um, Sometimes we just need to have a conversation that's private just for them to grow and mature. Um, But for the times that we are adjusting their behavior or their attitude, uh, we take a minute and develop our strategy before they come in as parents so we're on the same page. We gather the evidence. We note the eyewitnesses to the crime. They've been interviewed. The stories have been written down, depositions taken. We have our judge robes on and our white wigs in place, and we are ready to face the accused with all the evidence ready. Now, we try to constantly listen to the Holy Spirit as we deal with our kids, and sometimes it kind of gets in the way of what we thought might happen. As the defendant enters the room, we'll read the accusations and begin our prosecution. And as we're in full swing and have that momentum going, the Holy Spirit will say, you know, you're guilty of the same thing. Ouch. And so we have to look at ourselves and think, did we contribute to this behavior, this pattern? Are we modeling the right things so that this behavior or attitude won't occur in our children? And sometimes the answer is no, we're not. So don't you hate it when the lesson you just told your kids is looking you right in the face? Number two, if you are smart, you will take advantage of the opportunity. You've heard of blind spots. This is where others can see things in your life that you can't. We might not know that we have a problem unless someone else points it out. And sometimes that someone is our children. Our first response is usually denial, but if we're humble enough to hear them out, they could really help us fix a weakness or a character flaw. So when you're correcting your kids or anybody else in love, and the Holy Spirit exposes a blind spot, Know that he is doing this out of love. You've got a blank spot for number three. So he is doing this out of love. Just as you love your kids and you're correcting their character flaws, the Holy Spirit is doing the same thing with you if you'll let him. Don't reject this as judgment, but accept it as a loving mirror to your soul. Then the question is, observe your kids and ask the Lord to show you your own blind spots. And the parenting proverb, allow your kids' flaws to expose expose blind spots in your own character. How many have dogs here? Raise your hand. Dog, Dog peoples? So your dog comes up to another dog, and what do they immediately do? Which is embarrassing. All right. They shake hands by smelling the other dog's backside, right? We often have brought uh, rescue dogs into our house. And uh, several years ago, my aunt, who passed away 
had two great Pyrenees dogs. Do you guys know what those are? They're huge. They're like walking carpets. They're white. They were made for like guarding sheep. Is that right? And we had two of them. Not just one. We had two of them in our small little house. All right? One of them was Buddy and Babe. And Buddy was the male. I swear, his head was this big. Just gorgeous, beautiful dogs. You know, when somebody comes to the door, you know, and the whole house shakes and mailman takes off or whatever. Big, beautiful. They commanded a presence, right, when they come into the room. The other dogs did not have to smell their backside in order to know who was in charge. When Buddy walked into the room, he brought this presence with him. I'm in charge. I'm large and in charge, and you don't want to mess with me. And all the other dogs lined up just by the presence that he brought. There was another dog named Alon, and he was a chihuahua. And he made everybody in the whole room nervous. He would be barking at dust bunnies under the couch. Uh, He would try to be getting amorous with everybody's leg. He would try to mark his spot on everything, whether it was moving or not moving. And his whole presence made everyone nervous. Here comes Alon, and everybody's like, you know, I hate this little dog. Anybody having a lawn in their life? Now, parents, you bring in a presence to a room when you walk in. Are you insecure? Guess what your kids are going to do? They're going to want to go to their rooms. Has anybody ever had a dad come home angry from work? And you didn't have to say a thing. You just knew it. And the kids would run off to their rooms. All right? Or when you walk into the room, is it like, buddy, I'm here. I'm in charge. And it's okay. You don't have to freak out because I'm the parent. And it'll be okay. Your kids will emulate what presence you bring into the room. If you're nervous, if you're angry, if you're wanting to pee on everything in the room, they're going to be all nervous and angry and anxiety. But if you bring this presence of, it's okay, I bring a presence of peace, I bring a presence of authority, then they're going to be at peace. So, They don't need to smell your backside in order to know your presence. Number one, an insecure person never admits that they are wrong, especially to their kids. You don't want to bring that into a room. It's okay to say, I was wrong, but I'm still in charge because I'm the parent. Two, owning up to your mistakes does not make you weak. I made a mistake. Pastor, have you ever made a mistake? Never made a mistake, ladies and gentlemen. When he admits it, guess what we do? We respect him more. All right? You guys, it really bugs me when the politicians, everybody knows they made a mistake, but they won't admit it. And what happens? They, 
They lose credibility. But the people that make mistakes say, you know, I was wrong. Please forgive me. We're a very forgiving people. Okay? Number three, the attitudes and the presence that you bring into a room tells everyone what kind of person you are. If you're confident, yet humble parent, they will pick that up. I'm talking about your kids. Yes, you can be both confident and humble. It's the best kind of strength. Or you can be insecure and fearful and bring that presence into a room. Whatever presence you bring into a room, it will be felt by your family, whether they realize it or not. You can feel an anxiety come into a room when somebody all nervous and jumpy comes into that room. Number four, they will start to emulate that same presence. A secure parent will not be afraid to admit that they are wrong. All right, We're modeling behavior here. We are doing what we want our kids to do. Number five, your confidence is not based in your actions, but rather on the person you are on the inside. A strong parent will take their mistakes and turn them into teachable moments. And number six, weakness pretends you are never wrong, but everyone can see through that facade. It's a facade. Don't fake yourself out. If you've made a mistake, say, I'm wrong, but I'm still the parent. And this is what I should do right. Amen? Yes, sir. Yes, please. Yes. Question. Sure. So how, the question is, how can the parent change if they've had a lifestyle of hiding their hiding their weakness? First of all, you're going to realize you you need to have that revelation from the Lord that your strength is not in your actions but in your attitude or the presence you bring into a room. You need to have that revelation. It is okay to make a mistake and admit it because your identity does not rest in that. Your identity is who you are as a parent. You are the father. You are the mother. You are still in charge even though you've made mistakes. It is an identity thing. Mm -hmm. From the top down. If dad can do it, then I can do it too. Right. My son, even this week, came to me and said, Dad, I made this mistake. I was like, all right. Let's, how, how should we do this? Do you think you need a punishment? No, I don't think I need a punishment. I just realized I made this mistake. Okay, well, how, how do you think you should avoid that mistake in the, in the future? There is no threat of crushing when you make a mistake. In our family, there's only, we're going to get to that here in a little bit. When there is called punishment or abuse, these people that need to hide their mistakes are afraid of being abused. You made a mistake, I'm going to crush you. Where a confident parent says, You made a mistake, let's just correct you to get back on path. 
There may be, there may need a punishment, but many times there's not. There's just a correction. Do you understand? So create an environment to where mistakes are okay. All right? Mistakes are okay as long as we're adjusting them. We're not going to say your mistake is okay and you can continue to make that mistake. Let's get out of that rut. It's an environment of correcting and not abuse. Does that make sense? Okay. So the question is, this is your homework question, am I hiding my insecurity by a fearful attitude? And the parenting proverb, we can all smell you coming. You can choose what you're going to smell like. Amen? Amen. And I just want to add one thing to that. Y'all know I'm a teacher, 22 kids in the room, and there's a lot of things going on, and, and sometimes I make a mistake. And I'll even tell my students, guys, guess what? I'm human. I messed up. I'm sorry. I forgot that thing. To my 22 kids, I stand up there and say, I'm a human being. I'm not perfect. I know a lot of answers, but I don't know them all. I know a lot of things, but I forgot that thing. And... Even for my students, I say, sorry, guys, I blew it. Do you forgive me? And they're like, yeah, okay, we get it. And guess what? When they mess up, they know that Ms. Dunham makes mistakes too. And we deal with it as, you made a mistake, let's fix it. So it works. All right, and the next part is um, don't forget to be silly. Okay? Uh, James is a little better at this than me, I'll admit. Um, He's a lot more playful with the kids than I am. Uh, there have been times when we, at the grocery store, seems to be one of the favorite places. Um, <clears throat> sometimes a loaf of bread is not just a loaf of bread. And uh, it'll, it'll leave the cart and become a football. And he'll tell Jonathan, go long. And you can see all the people in the store looking at him like, really, come on, people, this is a grocery store. And so, you know, I'm kind of standing there going, all right. But the key is it's really important to play with your kids and let down that guard. Um, You know, even with me, it's a little calmer atmosphere when I play with my kids. But (laughs) um, when you get down on their level, and enjoy what they're doing and playing with them, it really creates a relationship with them that you can't really have any other way. It's their world is playful and imagination. And so when you can let go and be a little silly with them and play with them in their world, you really build relationship with them. So on the notes, number one, don't forget to be silly with your kids. Get down on their level. And enjoy the tea party, hats and all, whatever it is they're doing. Imagination is the best toy of all. Teach your kids to use it. Sometimes when the kids get bored, you all know the stories of the the kids playing with the box at Christmas instead of the toy. They have that imagination in them. You can take a box and make something fun with it and engage their imagination and they can be entertained for hours. Building relationships comes with play. Mud pies, Play-Dohs mashed into the new slacks or the carpet. Hairstyles you thought you left behind in the 80s, maybe. 
when they get to do your hair and they think you're so pretty <laughs> and you look in the mirror and go, wow, <laughs> yeah, that's really pretty, guys. <laughs> um, playing allows you to get to know them. It shows you how their imagination works. Okay, that's number four. Playing allows you to get to know your kids. It shows how their imagination works. When, they, when you are living in their imaginary world, you see what's important to them. You see how they think. Okay? Playing is a tool that's used to show them that they're important and worth your time. How many times do you say, go play with your siblings, go play with your friends, I'm busy? What does that tell your kid when you stop what you're doing and play with them and do what they want to do? That's kind of a foreign concept, I think, these days for a lot of people. How important do they feel when mom or dad drops what they're doing and plays with them? Okay, their dreams are exposed in an imaginary setting, and through that, you get closer to them. So get down and get silly with them. Number seven, it's as good for you as it is for your child. Playing with our kids allows us to take a break from the madness of our grown-up world. It helps with our health, it lowers our blood pressure, and releases stress that can hurt us in many ways. So take a break from being so serious. It's good for both of you. Playing with your kids puts you on the same team. So go along, because the loaf of bread is airborne, and fun is coming your way. And the question is, how can you meet your kids where they are and play with them? And of course, that looks different at different ages. You have to consider that. What are they into? What will show them that you value them and what they want to do? Okay. And the parenting proverb, the grim reaper called and wants his bad attitude back. Lighten up and play. Amen. Okay, next page, next section. Has anyone seen my fulcrum? What is a fulcrum, guys? Anybody? A lever, right? Um, a few mornings ago, <clears throat> early in the morning, about 5.45, I uh, came in to get my coffee, and Claire uh, said, uh, we need to discuss uh, Jordan's uh, college career. Uh, she's got all of these um, opportunities for um, getting a, a college career uh, started while she's in high school. She'll just have to work through the summer and work over Christmas and work, 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 work. And it's four, five 5.45 in the morning, and I'm just getting my coffee. And it's like, well, she's a kid. She needs to play, 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 play. She says, work, 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 work. And I say, play, 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 play. And we had an argument. And it's like... Why at 5.45 do we need to be talking about this, right? The point here was that she was seeing the importance of maximizing Jordan's potential in school. And I was seeing another potential of her wanting to grow up to be a normal teenager and have play. What was our balance? What was right? Well... Arguing at 5.45 in the morning wasn't right, so we both cooled down and let it, let, it, uh, let it rest for a while. And we realized both of them are right. 
she does need to study to her maximum potential, but she also needs time for play. But that brought up a very interesting point. What is balance? All right? To the signs, it might be different than the Dunhams. All right? It might be different from the Yarbrough's balance in their family. All right? It might be different in your family as to mine. And say, Lord, what is balance? Number one, if something is to have balance, there must be a fulcrum. The fulcrum is, the, the dictionary says that it's a point on which a lever rests or is supported and on which it pivots. Balance is, number two, balance is a thing that plays a central, listen to that word, central or essential role in an activity, event, or situation. Your balance may be different than mine, but what is the central point in our life, people? It's Jesus. It's Christ. Number three, if uh, what... I'm sorry, let me back up. What may seem balanced for one family is not balanced for another family. How is one right and one wrong? In my argument, they're both right because if they are centralized in Jesus, your balance could be the same as my balance because it's balanced on Jesus. All right? And here's why. My fulcrum for my balance, number four, is Christ. All right? I, we run everything through what is the Father doing? And that's our balance. Scripture says he saw what the Father did and did it. Then he heard what the Father said, and after that, he did it. That is balance, guys. Looking up and seeing what the Father doing is doing for your particular situation is balance in your family. It may be different from the Dunhams, and that's okay, because when you look up and see what the Father is doing, that is balance. It may be radical for some other people, but that's balance in your life. Number five, consistently having our eyes on the Father and our ears toward, turned to hear what he says is our balance. The question for your homework, what are areas in your family that may be out of balance? Look to the Father and say, Father, what, what, what do I need? I'm the dad, I'm the mom. What is balance for my family? In the parenting proverb, balance is not a set of rules. Balance is having Christ as our fulcrum and the Father as our guide. The next one is, um, it might be a little tough, and we touched on it basically uh, earlier. It's called punishment or abuse. Uh, I want to tell you, I want to read this, uh, read this story here for you, and then we'll go over the points. Henry was a successful businessman. He ran an import-export business. He owned 10,000-acre farm and had a large staff working for him. He was married and had four children. They all lived in a huge two-story house overlooking the farm and all his possessions. Henry was a leader to his community. He and the other men of the town would meet to discuss politics and business and how to better their small but growing town. From the outside, it looked like Henry was the picture of success. But on the inside, he had a terrible problem with anger. He knew it and tried to control it, but the more he tried to hold it in, the tougher it became. He didn't want to bring the monster of that 
uh, rage inside of him home to his wife and kids. So when, when he was with his employees and staff, he would do the, I'm sorry, but when his employees and staff would do the slightest thing wrong, he would unload on them. He would yell and scream and berate and occasionally shove and even hit them. He knew inside that their offenses did not justify his reaction. But he was so filled with disappointment and anger that he took it out on the ones in his charge. Afterwards, he felt bad, but his pride wouldn't let him apologize. After all, he was the boss. This story is set in 1859. The location was a plantation on the Mississippi Delta. Henry was a slave master running a cotton plantation. Or is it you and me? Instead of a plantation, it is our homes. And instead of slaves, it's our children. We have a disappointment of the day, and instead of beating the slaves, we take it out on our kids. We take our problems and our internal strife and release on them, on our kids, and call it punishment. It takes the form of raised voices, stomping through the house, exploding over the smallest offenses. It is an overreaction. It is the release of your anger on someone under your authority. This is not punishment. This is abuse. Number one, punishment should never be executed when you are angry. Whether you're a dad or you're a mom, that is not punishment. That is abuse. Number two, the purpose for punishment is not to inflict pain, but rather correct an action to make a change. If I were to come into a room full of people and I started swinging a stick and smacking people on the head and yelling and screaming and say, okay, now don't do it again, would you call that punishment? No, you'd call that lunacy and you'd have me arrested. Okay? We cannot expect that kind of behavior in our own hearts and in our own homes. If you're angry, you find a way to settle down, pull yourself away, and calm down before you deal with your kids and the correction that they need. If we address our kids' problems with anger, the only one we are serving is ourselves, number three. Number four, it is a selfish act to punish your children when you are angry. Stop it. We need to stop this generational punishing out of anger. All right? It's up to you. Stop it. We can correct them later, half hour later, when we calm down. Remove yourself from the situation and don't punish out of anger. Number five, we all respond to correction differently. Please note that I said respond. All right? That is the goal when we are correcting our children, a response. Number six, we want our children to respond in a positive way. There have been times, and my father and I have dealt with this, and I have forgiven him, but my response was in a negative way because he was punishing out of anger. 
and I went further into the wrong way. Number seven, if there is not a positive response, then your correction has failed. And that's the fault of you, the parent. Number eight, find out how each of your children responds to correction. Some of them need just a firm word. Jordan, you look at her firm, and she's corrected it. Never, need, never needed to really have any kind of other punishment except a firm word. She was, Jonathan was the opposite, just like his daddy. He needed a firm word, if you know what I'm saying. Um, others need to be, have things taken away. Um, others need to be uh, have a controlled physical involvement. This is where, you know, kid abuse really comes into play when the parent is trying to punish physically and it turns into something like Adrian Peterson had. All three of my kids operated or responded to correction differently. All three of them. You cannot be fair when it comes to punishment. We'll get to that later, but there is no fair. There is the right way to punish each child. You don't have to do it fairly. Number nine, if you are not calm and in control of your emotions, wait until you are. Then apply the correct punishment and always reassure them that that you will love them forever and always, no matter what. Your question, what steps will you take to calm down before correcting your kids? This decision needs to be made now when you are, when you are calm, not when you are enraged. What am I going to do when I'm mad? I'm going to, when that triggers, I'm going to go and you know, be by myself or whatever. Make that decision now. <clears throat> and your parenting proverb, the goal of punishment is to make a change, not Release your anger. Y'all still love me? All right. The next section is your responsibility to your community. Um, In Genesis, Cain asked God, am I my brother's keeper? I'm not responsible for him. You go find him. And it seems like a silly question. But today in modern times, I would ask you the same thing. Are you your brother's keeper? And what would that mean today? Who is your brother? Well, our neighbor, our community, our family members, sure. Okay, friends. A lot of people could be included in that term. So then the question becomes, are you responsible for your community? What do you guys think? Are we responsible for our community? If you see a neighbor needing help and you profess to be a Christian and you look the other way, are you being an example of Christ's love to that person? This principle is true when you're raising your children or even just being an example to other adults. We raise them to be keepers of our neighborhood and our community and our world. One cool fall morning, we were out raking our leaves, and we have the joy of those trees that 
drop the leaves twice a year, once in the fall and once in the spring. Double joy. And so we were out raking those leaves, and we knew that a neighbor was having some problems, and they hadn't gotten to their leaves, and they might not be able to get to their leaves for quite a while because they had some family issues going on, some health issues. So James and I looked at each other, and we looked over at the neighbor's leaves and said, guess what, guys? We're going to serve our neighbor, and we're going to help clean up their leaves too. The kids weren't very old at the time. Raking leaves for them was kind of a hard job at that point. And I don't think it's anybody's favorite job. But we decided to be our brother's keeper and teach our kids the same lesson. So number one, teach your kids to be your brother's keeper. I understand it's a commitment and sometimes a huge sacrifice on the part of parents to raise and release kids that will be a blessing to the community, not a curse. Number two, it costs us something, but what act of love doesn't? Number three, if you are to be a keeper of your community, there will be a cost, but think of the awesome return on your investment of love. So do a little fast forward, close your eyes, and imagine your kids or whoever you're trying to influence five, 10, 15 years in the future. And ask yourself, what kind of gift do I want to give my community, the world? And turn back to today. Once you have a vision for what you want your child to be in the future, you can start teaching them those skills now. So you have to work and you need to put your kid in order to make that kind of impact. Some parents only want their kids to grow up and get a good job and make a lot of money. And that's a little shallow when there's a whole ocean of possibilities and opportunities to impact others' lives. We're not to just love ourselves, but love our neighbors as ourselves. So then the question is, write down what you would want your kids to do to bless their community. Start today. I will tell you when our kids were two and an older person dropped something. Look, they need help. Go pick that up for them. And of course, the person was very grateful, and they got that feedback. It's never too early to start that. Then the parenting proverb, gift your community by raising keepers. Amen. We're going to go through these last three points really quickly because of our time. And hmm, we've got a lot left. Brother Way, with your permission, we'll just stop there and maybe pick it up at another time because we have put a lot of material out there in the hours. Yes. It's okay. So... Um, are there any questions before we get to our, our final point? Any questions? So usually we end uh, the evening with a time of forgiveness where maybe someone in your past was not modeling the behavior they should have. Maybe you haven't modeled the behavior you should have. And if the Holy Spirit has shown that to your heart 
It's time now to forgive. So join with me. Lord, we um, ask your forgiveness for people that have not modeled behavior to us in the spirit. Maybe a uh, spiritual leader disappointed us by preaching one thing but acting another way. And we release them and we forgive them and we let them go. We let that offense go. We let that action of not being consistent with their word and their actions go. We forgive them because we don't want that weighing us down anymore. And Lord, those that have offended us by not modeling behavior in the soul, in our emotions or in mind, we release them. Maybe a father, mother, that came at us in anger, disciplined, punished out of anger. We release them. By an act of our will, we forgive them and we bless them. And if there's anybody else that the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind, to just release, now is the time, so that we can get the full benefit of this that we can cut off that weight and let them go. Do that now. I let them go. I forgive them. I release them. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to finish this at another time. The Christmas and holiday season is upon us. I'm going to live unoffended. But I better get everything I want for Christmas or else I'm going to be mad. No. Love you guys. Bless you. That's it.